Hey there, this is Nurse Keith. In these days of the COVID-19 pandemic, we're disseminating as much high-quality, evidence-based information and expert opinion about the situation as we can in our special bonus COVID-19 episodes. Meanwhile, we still want to support you in your nursing career development, so please enjoy this interview recorded prior to this global emergency. Be well, stay safe, and many blessings on you, your loved ones, your colleagues, your communities, and everyone on this troubled yet beautiful planet of ours. Why would nurses care about cannabis and its therapeutic uses? Let's talk all about it with cannabis nurse Ashley Wynn Grimes right here on episode 269 of The Nurse Keith Show. Hello and welcome to The Nurse Keith Show. You know I love having you along for this ride. Whether you're new to the show or you've been on this journey with me for months or years, I thank you for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. This podcast is all about you and your nursing career, and I'm here to share education, ideas, diatribes, and informative interviews like this one with some of the most inspiring people from the worlds of healthcare, nursing, entrepreneurship, medicine, and beyond. And did you know that Nurse Keith Coaching is your one-stop shop for all things related to your career. That's right, I offer individualized coaching for nurses and healthcare professionals around the world. And if you mention that you're a listener, you'll get 10% off your first coaching package. Email me today at keith at nursekeith.com and we'll schedule a complimentary consult to explore how career coaching can help you have the most satisfying life and nursing career possible. Meanwhile, if you want to see the show notes for this episode, which I recommend as always, follow along over at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 269. And today we are welcoming friend of the pod, Ashley Wynn Grimes, a cannabis nurse specialist. And Ashley, it is so nice to have you here with us all the way from Maryland on the east coast of of the United States, and I want to jump right into it with you, okay? All right, sounds good. Yeah, so why do nurses and the nursing profession need to explore opportunities in the world of cannabis in the 21st century? Well, cannabis right now is um, a newly evolving specialty in in general. Um, It's becoming legal statewide, specifically medically, and patients are going, they're curious, they're going to dispensaries, and they really don't know what to do with it. That's where nursing needs to step in. Nurses are... um, the crutch of the healthcare system. We are the advocates. We are the educators. We understand um, anatomy and physiology. We understand the body and we care. We have ethical and moral standards and patients need that, not only in the hospital, as we know, in the community. And it also relates to cannabis. This isn't any different. Mm -hmm. No, it's not any different. And, you know, You live in Maryland, correct? Yes. Yeah. So is medical cannabis legal in D.C., Virginia, and or Maryland? Do you know the area where you live? Yes. So Maryland is medically legal. D.C. is recreational. um, But a little different than what I hear is considered recreational in Colorado or let's say L.A., where you can just walk into a dispensary and pick something up. 
Um, DC is a little different where you have to buy a token and then you get a free gift in the form of cannabis, um, which is interesting. Virginia, I believe, is also medically legal. So, you know, we do have access to dispensaries in the area, but there are some nuances when you go from state to state. There absolutely are. You know, Colorado's just north of New Mexico, where I live, and they mm-hmm. have medical, but then they also passed legalization of recreational marijuana several years ago. And, you know, the way people talk about it, it's like Colorado's paving their streets with gold and building new schools and recreating their infrastructure because money's like flowing out of the taxes on cannabis there in Colorado. But around the country, it's kind of like the momentum's there, right? Right. We can't Mm -hmm. really escape the momentum. So what do you think about this difference between recreational and medical. Is there anything you're seeing that you'd like to point out about what's happening around the country right now? Um, So when it comes to recreational, people are associating that with a good time. I mean, that's what the term recreational means to people. Mm -hmm. California actually uses the term adult use Um, to kind of take it away from that more let's party, have a good time thing. Um, But the difference in the medical piece of it is I'm using it for a specific purpose and I want to treat it. So if I am having pain, you know, I, I need to use it a certain kind of way to get the effects that I'm looking for. And there are certain types of buds. There are certain types of terpenes that I need to look for in my plant in order to get the effect that I'm looking for. Whereas for a recreational or an adult user, there aren't as many um I guess, criteria that you would have for your plant. But you also do want to be aware of how it affects you, because if you are going out and you're having a good time and you want to use it, that's fine. But you don't want something that's going to put you to sleep. Right. So that's true. Right. We have strains that might that people might call like a body high or some are more cerebral. Some put you to sleep, some wake you up, make you really active. And some people can use, let's say, indica strains, which generally are relaxing, and they get really pumped up by them. So even if you read about or educated about a certain strain, you also have to know how it's going to affect you personally, because we can have some interesting paradoxical effects, not necessarily bad effects, though sometimes some people do, but we need to be very aware. And that's, it's an interesting science in the way it's developed these last years. I mean, Man, if you look at this, the science of this 10 or 20 years ago, we are light years ahead, aren't we? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I also want to point out, even if you look at indica versus sativa, mm-hmm. you know, there are some terpenes and some cannabinoids that affect you that will give you those opposite effects. That's why that happens. So, you know, if somebody labels it a sativa, they label a specific strain of sativa, that doesn't mean that it doesn't have, let's say, limonene in it, which is a terpene that will cause a response in your body that makes you more active and aware and awake, you know, so really the legalization process, in my opinion, is very important because you can get that analysis to say what is actually in your butt instead of giving it generic labels. So that way you're more aware. 
Ooh, yeah. Scientific data is very important these days when you're actually purchasing it over the counter and not just from somebody on a street corner right, or, right. or a back alley, right? And oh my gosh. this is the third episode of the Nurse Keith Show to talk about cannabis and or CBD. So we've talked about cannabidiols and in the in the show notes, I'll have links back to those other episodes that we've we've spoken with other cannabis and CBD nurse experts. But you just mentioned terpenes, which I don't think we've covered in these other episodes. So aside from cannabidiols, what is a terpene and why should nurses understand them? Um, so terpenes exist in the natural world. So and they basically give any plant or flower or vegetable, their unique smell or their flavor. So I brought up limonene as a common terpene um, just because people can visualize it easiest because it's um, the terpene that exists in lemon. And just like a lemon, you, you, you take a whiff of the lemon smell and you feel good. It's just an overall feel good nature, generally decreases anxiety. It's the, the same is true if you find that terpene in your cannabis. There are certain strains that carry specific terpenes that, you know, give it its smell, but also give you a certain response as well. There are over 200 terpenes um, because of the category one nature of the plant. You know, we don't know all 200 or all of their effects in detail, but there are some really common ones that if you see them on your analysis that you can, you know, have an idea of how it can affect you. I see. So if I have a card for medical marijuana or I live in a state where there's legal, quote unquote, adult use or recreational marijuana, I'm assuming I'm going to run into people in those dispensaries who are extremely knowledgeable Mm -hmm. and can fill me in on all of these very minute details of the cannabidiols, the percent of THC versus CBD, um, the strains. But I am assuming all of those professionals are not created equal. And how do you know that the either the dispensary itself or the person you're speaking with over the counter knows their stuff? You don't. To be honest with you, yeah, it takes a little bit of research, honestly, and that's what I, I recommend to to my patients personally or anybody who's interested. You know, ask questions about terpene, terpene profiles, ask questions about cannabinoid profiles, um, ratios, potential effects. If they could just give you a generic answer, or they say, "Oh, well, this specific strain is what I like because of whatever the reason they come up with," well, you know, maybe you need a more you know, detailed conversation with somebody else, which is kind of where I was going with nursing needing to be involved because we are the unbiased expert. We are the the caregiver who will give you accurate information if we have it, of course. And at this point in this stage of the game, I'm not sure um, how much of that information is prevalent everywhere. But that's kind of my goal of my business is to share that information so that way we can be the gold standard. I see. Now, you just said an interesting word, unbiased. Let's say a patient walks into a clinic. This isn't a bar. (laughs) I mean, this isn't a joke. Like (laughs) a cannabis patient walks into a bar. No. Okay. Uh, Okay. So a patient walks into 
a clinic and is speaking with the triage nurse or a nurse or maybe in the ED or something or maybe with a physician or nurse practitioner and the patient senses that there's a little bias on the part of the provider about the fact that they use marijuana therapeutically. So I would assume that that's not necessarily a very good match for that patient and that provider, right? Yeah, that's absolutely true. And that's an unfortunate reality in this current state um, because we're, you know, healthcare provi- providers aren't informed. We do have that bias because if we listen to the history over, you know, the past 30 years, even dating back to, you know, the past 100 years, there are a lot, a lot of biases associated with cannabis or marijuana in general. Um, it's been, you know, racial disparities and economic disparities, and they have been directly linked to marijuana. If you go back to the Mexican Revolution and when the Mexicans came over the border and they brought recreational marijuana, they they were directly associated with the recreational use. So, you know, and those kind of things kind of happen throughout the history of um marijuana in the United States. And those things have kind of stuck with us through the generations. So with that said, you know, it's very important to um, expose healthcare providers to the medical use just to change that, that negative connotation or that bias. So when people do come into the clinic and say, I'm using it medically, you can at least have an open conversation with that person. um, So you can get a good detailed medical history about them. So we do need to set our biases aside if possible. And I guess for any nurse listening, if you work in a practice and a patient comes in and you feel you're feeling judgment about their use of marijuana, you really have to look at that because the science out there is showing there are therapeutic uses, you know, states are allowing legal and adult use because we see that there are benefits. And of course, there's downsides too, I'm sure, for certain people. Mm -hmm. But we need to keep an open mind because the science is only getting deeper. So in terms of that development of the science, Ashley, what do you think is going to happen? We won't hold this to you, actually, but or hold (laughs) you to this. What is going to happen in the next, let's say, decade throughout the course of the 2020s? What is your prognostication about how this is all going to develop? Well, I mean, in a perfect world, this is how I imagine it, you know, for sure. But um, in 2020, we're going to legalize it federally. We're going to take it off of the category one status. Um, We're going to begin to do in-depth randomized controlled studies on, on cannabis to get very, very detailed information about what, who, how, and why we use what we use and when we use it. It'll be included in policy. Um, once we get that information, it'll be included in policy in our hospitals and in our clinics. So that way um, there'll be people just like you have a dietitian, a, a diabetic nurse, just like you have a, a wound care nurse, you'll have a cannabis nurse in the hospital as a resource to the patient. And even expanding that even further at the end of maybe that 10 year time frame, maybe making that standard competency for every nurse in the hospital. So that way we can be informed when we're talking to our patients and they have that specific cannabinoid or terpene in their system. We can speak to that and we can um, monitor, educate and administer it um, appropriately. Wow. 
That's pretty cool. And so you really think that we're going to go federal legalization in the 2020s? in this decade? I really hope so. I mean, we have the MORE Act coming down the pike. I I believe it has to go in through the House, and the step after that is President's signature. I honestly feel like President's signature may be where the barrier lies, but we'll see where that goes. You know, when we we get to that point, we don't know who's going to be in office at that point. So um, uh, once we get that signature, that'll be when they can implement that policy where they decriminalize, they take it off that schedule one status. And they are also offering grants to areas that were deserved, you know, targeted um, in the war on, on drugs. So, yeah, that, I mean, that's my hope. Yeah, that is a hope. And can you mention that legislation again, the MORE something you just said? Well, the MORE Act, and it's an abbreviation. I can't think of what that abbreviation means right now. Uh-huh. Um, but basically, m.o.r.e Act. Okay, we will look that up, and I will do my best to get something about the MORE Act into the show notes so that people yeah. can, can see that, and maybe a link to something about terpenes, too, for people to educate themselves. Now, when we come back from a quick break, I would like to talk about your practice, about how nurses can apply the knowledge of cannabis in their practices, and what maybe nurses should continue to consider learning about cannabis. And we can even maybe touch on, you know, nursing education and why cannabis should be included. And finally, I see that you are a member of Minorities for Medical Marijuana. That's on your website. I would like to talk about that as well. So we will be right back for the second half of the Nurse Keith Show. So now we're going to take a pause for the cause for just a moment. Please consider becoming a patron of The Nurse Keith Show, just like other awesome listeners who value the show so much that they want to give just a little bit each month to support the work we're doing here. When you pledge, you not only get the satisfaction of helping produce and support The Nurse Keith Show, you also get some pretty cool premiums and gifts from yours truly. Just head over to patreon.com forward slash Nurse Keith to read all about it. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash nurse Keith. And if you know someone who could benefit from career coaching with me, please consider referring them. And if they become a paying client, you'll receive credit for an hour of coaching with me. And there's no expiration date on that credit. So you can keep it in your back pocket until you need it most. And remember that you can refer as many people as you like and continue to earn those coaching credits. What an incredible deal. And please head over to NurseKeith.com and sign up for my newsletter, which comes out regularly and brings you supportive messages, updates from my blog and my podcast, resources, and all sorts of other stuff. Remember, NurseKeith.com, sign up for that newsletter, and you'll also get a free download from me as my gift to you. Anyway, those are my sincere asks today. So now... Let's dig back into today's topic without further ado. 
All right. Thank you for hanging out here on the Nurse Keith Show, episode 269. Remember, those all important show notes are at nursekeith.com forward slash the word episode and the number 269. And we are here, as I said, with friend of the pod, Ashley Wynn Grimes. She is a Maryland based cannabis nurse expert. And Ashley, right before the break, we were talking about the use of, well, we were talking about terpenes. We were talking about the potential for a national legalization of marijuana, which you think might happen in this decade of the 2020s and a bunch of other things. So let's start with the last thing I mentioned before the break, which is the fact that on your website, which is cannabis nursing solutions, LLC.com, we will find at the bottom a ribbon that says minorities for medical marijuana, cannabis business and investor member. So what is this organization? And can you explain that role of minorities in the world of medical marijuana? Minorities for Medical Marijuana is a nonprofit organization. Um, They're based in Orlando and they actually help support small businesses that are minority owned. Um, They provide education and, um, you know, different types of opportunities throughout the United States. And in general, minorities have been sort of excluded from the cannabis industry up until this point. And that's pretty much what the, the organization stands to support. I see. Have they been excluded as growers, as people involved in the research? Like, where has that exclusion occurred? I'm just curious from your perception. From what I'm aware of, the business side, so growers are included in that dispensary owners, specific to Maryland, um, the owners of dispensaries were limited to a certain amount of people, and um, that information wasn't widely shared amongst different people. And um, the difference, the economical difference, is very obvious almost a million dollars to start up your own dispensary. Um, you know, so those kind of nuances exist, and it's, it's not just this industry, it's you know, a lot of other industries as well. But basically, you know, it, it's always important for different groups of people to come together and support each other in order to um, ensure diversity in, in various areas. So, and this is just one area that we're doing that. Well, thanks for sharing that. That's important information for us. And, you know, we all know, or most of us know and acknowledge that in the alleged war on drugs, <laughs> and I say alleged because I don't think it's been a very effective war, in this war on drugs, Basically, people of color have suffered incredibly disproportionate punishment for all sorts of very small drug offenses. And we could talk for hours, I'm sure, Mm -hmm. about how our prisons are overflowing and our jails with people who've been arrested for very small amounts of, let's say, of marijuana in their possession, something that, of course, is illegal. You know, it's still Schedule 1, et cetera, in, in a lot of states. But minorities, if you look at the proportions there, it's an outrageous difference between white people and people of color. And obviously that figures into this calculation, doesn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And as an African-American woman and small business owner and healthcare provider, how do you see your role in um, 
this particular aspect of the conversation? It's it's hard to even speak on it. I'm not sure if I'd be able to have Mm -hmm. the impact that maybe I wish that I could you know, for for different groups of people that have been impacted. I mentioned the MORE Act and how they were going to put grants into different areas that were impacted. And, and, and a lot of those areas tend to be um, majority, mostly minority people. With that said, although they're going to be putting grants into those areas, it doesn't take away from the long-term effects that have been had. You know, you take away a father from their family before a minor drug offense, and, you know, they're away for 15 years, the impact on the family, you know, the child that grows up in their family, I'm not sure if I could truly fix or help with that, you know, so. Right. However, I'll say in, in your defense that as an African-American woman, as a woman of color, who's also a healthcare professional, you are setting an example You are standing out there in the world as a woman of color saying, hey, this is a useful medicine. It's actually a medicine. It can be used for many purposes. And we can actually bring this medicine to communities of color. We can also bring entrepreneurial, uh, what would you say, opportunities to communities of color in this regard, whether it's growing, selling, et cetera, providing care. So... I think you are contributing just by doing what you're doing, don't you think? I can agree with that. I appreciate that. Okay, sure. Yeah, I think it's a really important thing. And you may or may not have heard one of my recent episodes with Dominique Fontaine. She is also a cannabis nurse. And I've also interviewed the leader of the Cannabis Nurses Association. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are... There are people involved. There's a lot of movement. Nurses are really jumping on this particular bandwagon because it's not a fad. Right. I mean, this is a thing. And if if you go to PubMed, there's incredible amounts of research on marijuana and cannabidiols and terpenes. Sure. It's there's there's a lot of research. So it's not like science has avoided this particular issue. I just think it's been somewhat of a political football. Right. That's very true. So let's talk about your actual practice as a small business owner and a nurse entrepreneur. So at your website, CannabisNursingSolutionsLLC.com, you are speaking specifically to consumers, correct? You have services that where you help assess and guide patients. So can you only work with patients in Maryland in that regard? I can work technically. I can work in any uh, compact state, um, okay. but I am only offering. So I can do over the phone um, consultations if you're in a compact state. But I also offer services to nurses in my community as well. Um, but let me go back to the patient. So I can do I do 15 minute consultations. Um, those are free, just to kind of get. Uh, understanding of what the person's needs are and, you know, if there's something that they are somebody that I can help them with. And then I can also do one hour consultations where we develop a treatment care plan and we kind of talk about how, you know, go through some information, talk about cannabinoids, which ones will probably work best for them, give them some ideas on how to start off with dosing, which by the way is patient 
um, driven. The patient has to make those decisions on their own. I can just kind of help, you know, with conversation, information, education. And then we can also uh, come up with an evaluation plan, goals, outcomes of treatment, that kind of thing, um, just to make sure that they're getting the benefit that they're looking for. I've heard so often that, um, you know, so-and-so um, has been using it for over a year and they can't figure out why it's not working for them or, you know, I fixed this problem, but then it led to another problem or I'm also taking, you know, these other medications and what should I do with that? And basically that's what I'm there to assist them and kind of guide them on their journey. I call it their cannabis journey because that's essentially what it is. I see. So that's the work you do with patients. And have you seen or are you aware of patients being able to actually stop using particular pharmacological agents because they're now using cannabis? Does that happen sometimes? Yes, that does happen. What have you noticed? What have you seen anecdotally or otherwise? Um, so it varies. There when it depends on what they're taking and it, it also depends on if they have a provider that's willing to work with us. Okay. So, you know, it's very important to make sure that you have a provider that's w- willing to monitor and assess the, the, um, the, the experience of the patient, because the other thing that we're finding is a lot of providers aren't informed about cannabis. So it has to be a joint, you know, effort in order to get the patient to where they need to be. With that said, you know, if they're on, let's say, opioids and they're looking to wean themselves down, you still may encounter some of the side effects that you experience with withdrawal. And a lot of times, um, you know, it's uncomfortable and the the cannabis can can help um, relieve some of those. But that's still an experience they they have to experience until they can get to a point where the cannabis is on a, a regular treatment schedule. Um, to its therapeutic right, exactly. level. Exactly. I see. So you are seeing the possibilities. And speaking of opioids, for instance, we're in the midst of an, an ginormous opioid mm. crisis in the United States and around the world. Let's talk about dependence and addiction for a second. Okay. You know, if you go back to the movie Reefer Madness back in the 1920s during Prohibition, they made it seem like becoming addicted to marijuana would churn you into a, you know, crazy psychotic zombie, right? (laughs) Right. So for the nurse who's concerned about the issues of dependence, physiological or otherwise, what do you say? And what do you say to the patients who also have those concerns? Like, I don't want my elderly dad using that and being addicted to marijuana. What do you tell them? So there... There is a difference between psychological and physical addiction. Okay. Cannabis is more of a psychological addiction if you do become addicted to it. Um, Whereas, you know, opioids, for example, is a physical dependency where your body requires it in order to function. And that's two different things Um, because you can become psychologically addicted to your cell phone. You can become psychologically addicted to 
whatever it is, you Instagram. know, walk, <laughs> right, writing, walking on your right foot. If that's what, you know, makes your body, makes you feel good psychologically, you can become addicted psychologically to that. And cannabis is no different. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing about cannabis and the endocannabinoid system is that it's the endocannabinoid system is creating a state of balance. So if you need, if your body requires the cannabis to create that balance, once you stop taking it, if your balance is off for whatever reason, whether it's sickness or otherwise, you're 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 going to need it to relieve those symptoms. And that's not necessarily dependency, if that makes sense. I see. That makes sense. OK, so if a nurse wants to learn from you and say, hey, I really want to understand what's going on here. I see that you have a Cannabis Nursing Solutions LLC training course for nurses. And what I notice on your site right now is that you're actually teaching it in person in Olney, Maryland and Phoenix, Maryland. Is that only a in-person course or are you going to be offering an online course? That's the plan for 2020, um, for 2021. I'm sorry. Um, If this year goes well and I get some good feedback, I will convert it to an online course um, that will require me to go back through the AHNA, which is the American Holistic Nurses Association for approval. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Yes, right now we're doing it monthly in person, you know, and I, I really just want to get a feel for the type of questions that nurses have and, you know, really what the needs are. Because when people come, they're coming for different reasons, whether they want to start their own business, whether they want to be able to speak up for the patient in the hospital, whether they want to have an impact on policy. They're, they're all various reasons. If you're a nurse practitioner and you're coming because you ha- you're you're prescribing it and you don't know what to do after you prescribe it, you know? So, you know, I'm trying to feel that part of it out throughout 2020, then I'll be able to better create something that's online in the future. That's my hope. I see. And if you do that through the American Holistic Nurse Association, does that mean it'll have CEUs? Yeah. So the in-person does have 8.5 CEUs. And if, um, yeah. And if I do it uh, online, I would want that same feature as well, because I think that's important. I see. And if you're listening and you're a holistic nurse and you actually need holistic nursing CEUs, like I need a certain amount based on what I've based on my certification as a board certified nurse coach, I need to have a percentage of my CEUs every year be related to quote unquote holistic nursing. I'm assuming that courses like yours would count towards holistic nursing CEUs. Absolutely. Yeah, because it's not the regular allopathic kind of stuff that we study, like, you know, uh, cardiovascular health or diabetic, a diabetic treatment, etc. So, yeah, we will have some information and links to your course. We'll also have information about the MORE Act. And we'll also have other stuff that we've talked about in the show notes, because this is all really important. So let's see, Ashley, when it comes to particular conditions, have you had any specific successes that you'd like to point out, you know, whether with diabetes or depression or anything like that? Is there some a story you'd like to tell? Let's see. So I had a patient. This, so people tend to come to me for pain. Uh, that's been a majority of my success stories. So I had a patient come to me. They were complaining of low back pain. 
um, related to work-related issues, um, a younger person, and um, they were already using prior to coming to me. And that's always something that you want to figure out if that they have a history with cannabis or not, you know, and what, um, what they associate with good and bad practices or, you know, what works, what doesn't work. So anyway, this person, um, chose to smoke and I recommended that they try a transdermal patch at the dispensary and, um, vaping. Because many people don't realize that uh, vaping has more of a concentrated effect. So the effect that you would get from one puff of a vape versus one puff of a blunt is very different. Because when you light a blunt, 80, uh, I don't remember the exact percentage, but a large percentage goes up into the atmosphere and you really don't get a lot of the cannabinoids. Oh, I see. Okay. Right. So um, they decided to they didn't really want to because vaping is a little bit more expensive. But I had to explain that when you vape, because it's more concentrated, you will use less of it less frequently. And then if you invest in the transdermal patch, you'll also get a direct effect on your low back. And that's what you're trying to treat. And it worked, honestly. Um, they placed their, their patch on their low back for 12 hours out the day. They would take it off at night and they would only use a vape twice a day, two puffs a day. And it worked where this person was inhaling cannabis all day, every day. <laughs> I see. I see. Now, now, when you mentioned vaping, you know, in the news recently, of course, there's been a lot of reports about lung damage, pretty serious lung damage and some deaths from vaping. And they've said that it's more likely to have lung damage vaping marijuana than it is vaping various forms of tobacco. Although they've also pointed out that with the tobacco and some of the marijuana comes some ingredients that we don't really want to see, like the vitamin E acetate. So what would you say to a nurse listening right now who's like, well, I don't want to recommend vaping because if someone gets lung damage, I'm going to get this, the crap suit out of me. True. That's, that's very, that's a very true concern. So that's why it's important to get that analysis to see what's in your products and also going to a very reputable, um, vape. like don't just get any, the cheapest vape or whatever is just kind of around. You really should get your stuff from a dispensary and make sure you get that analysis done or make sure that patient goes and gets that analysis done and, and give them that disclaimer. Right. And the patient's not doing the analysis, actually, honestly, right, because that's a scientific analysis. And right. from my experience, the more the more reputable dispensaries have a very detailed analysis on exactly. every product that they sell. And some of the states, I guess, are a little more strict than others about that, right? The disclosure. Yeah, that's very true. And, you know, that's even true when you're you're purchasing your CBD, you know, on the internet or something, because you can, it's legal. You want to make sure that whatever you purchase when it comes to cannabis, CBD, or what have you, has um, a very detailed analysis that comes along with your product. So you know if they use pesticides, you know if they use that vitamin E, oil, acetate, you know, they, I mean, they're, people can put whatever into their products. I hear on the streets, they're putting bleach into cannabis just to give you that, make you feel like it's more strong than what it is. So, you know, the importance of having that detailed analysis that is certified is 
exponential. And that's really important to teach your, your patients when they come and talk to you. Yeah, so it is becoming safer and safer, and not buying on the street is really the best idea in 2020 and beyond. There's no reason to buy on the street anymore, unless you happen to live in a state where you can't get anything legally. Uh, That is a difficult situation, but hopefully maybe you live in a state adjacent to a state where you can go get legal, highly tested, vetted uh medical marijuana or recreational marijuana. Now, speaking of drugs and testing and the war on drugs, etc., we have heard reports, and I've even had a friend who's been fired from a job, even though this particular person I'm speaking of was a PA, and she was an Iraq war vet with PTSD, and had a medical marijuana card here in New Mexico. And she was working from for one of the large healthcare systems here in the state. She was fired upon one of her first drug tests because she came up positive for THC. Now, they went to court. She lost. So it was kind of a landmark case. She lost and the healthcare system won, saying that they had not discriminated against her because marijuana is a federal offense and they can't have one of their providers actively using and testing for this Schedule One drug. And her contention and her lawyer's contention was, look, medical marijuana is spreading around the country and around the world, especially around the United States. And are we going to tell all of our healthcare providers with PTSD and chronic pain and depression and anxiety, et cetera, that they can't use medical marijuana even though their patients can? So, What is your response to medical providers who themselves have been certified to use medical marijuana, but they can't because they're going to lose their jobs? Right. Um, That's a tough one, honestly. Um, You know, at, at the end of the day, your employer is most likely an at-will employer. They can hire you at their discretion. And if they feel that they don't want to hire you because you have cannabis within your system and it's a federal one drug, I believe they have the right to do that. It's your choice whether or not you choose to do that. And I, I, I don't think it's right. I really don't because you are using it as a treatment option. But that's just the state we're in right now. Right. And this person, too, was was an Iraq war vet who was honorably discharged. And wow. she had, you know, been in combat, et cetera, and had amazing, incredibly intense PTSD. Right. Wow. So and she'd also been sexually harassed in the army. I mean, it was it was a long story and it was on the news and CNN and everything. So it was a landmark case and a very unfortunate one. Mm-hmm. So I'm concerned because I speak with a lot of nurses who have PTSD, whether from secondary trauma from working in the ED or from who knows what's happened to them either in the course of their career or the course of their personal life. And mm-hmm. I just feel the unfairness of healthcare providers not able to use a medicine that has been even legalized in that particular state is very troublesome. Yeah. And, you know, you can have, let's say, a surgeon 
who is a raging alcoholic, but is a functional alcoholic because he drinks at night and on the weekends and binges. But when he comes into work, no one's testing him for, for, for alcohol. Right. Right. And he could have an incredibly horrible hangover. His hands could be shaking. You know, he could be really impacted by that alcohol, but he'll never, almost never have any consequences at work because of it. Right. Not at all. And that's related to the stigma. Exactly. You know, we associate alcohol with being okay and cannabis is being bad because it's, you know, the number one enemy. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the but in, and that's why that education and that information giving and you know spreading that information through the community is is vastly important because um, we really need to bring our voice together and and make that um, that social impact known. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, um, but yeah, it's not there. No, we're not. And nurses are very respected and trusted in this country, right? We see Mm -hmm. it in the Gallup poll. So we can talk to our legislators, right? We can go meet with people and and advocate as nurses, right? Absolutely. That's so funny you bring that up. Did you see that on my Instagram? (laughs) No, I didn't. I looked at your Instagram this past week, but not, not in the last number of days. So now on your Instagram, there's a photo... From the Ellen DeGeneres show. Are you on Ellen DeGeneres? No, no, no. What is that? <laughs> Not at all. I, I tagged her hoping that she would pick me up one oh, day. Oh, Ellen, come on. Listen up. Yeah, Man. come on, Ellen. Yeah. Um, I'm also um, on a podcast called Brunching. It airs on Fridays at 11. What is and, that? Yeah, what is brunching? It's a, it's a millennials um, topics, you know, comedic comedy thing um we we talk we go through millennial topics and we just kind of chat and i i put my plug in whenever i can and try and provide education we have a segment called ask ashley um where i just give you know general information to kind of make that more part of the conversation which is my goal but we're actually having somebody on um, a1 chops next friday and they were on the Ellen show. So I was hoping that she would kind of pick me up too. <laughs> well, maybe she will. Come on, Ellen. All right. I'll have I'll have my people talk to her people and then her people will talk to your people and then we'll be all set, right? I would love that. <laughs> all right. So Ellen, here we come. Um, yeah, I mean, people like that can have an outsized impact on the world. So we would like that to happen, wouldn't we? Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. We will try to get Ellen on board here and, you know, we'll call some other, you know, we'll call uh, Stephen Colbert and some other people and say, hey, you know, get with it. Right. There's some stuff here you all need to learn. Exactly. Yeah. Anyway, Ashley, this is great, and I encourage any listener interested to go to CannabisNursingSolutionsLLC.com. Check out the course that you can take in person in Maryland for eight CEUs and watch later this year towards 2021 for an online course, which Ashley hopefully will be able to share maybe on my website or something once it's up so that people can take advantage of it. All right. Now, you're also on Facebook at Cannabis Nursing Solutions. You're on Instagram at Cannabis Nursing Solutions. And Twitter is Ashley the Canna one, number one. So links to all of that will be in the show notes as, long, as well as your lovely 
um, logo, your headshot, and your bio, and people will learn that you've been a registered nurse for more than a decade. You've worked in med surge, tele, professional development, quality improvement, performance improvement, and you know, you've been around the block, you've done a lot, and you're now a nurse entrepreneur as well. And I hope to see you at the National Nurses and Business Association Conference someday, someday. All right. Yeah, it'd be lovely to have you there. So, you know, this has been wonderful, Ashley, you've added to the body of literature and information here on the Nurse Keith show around cannabis and CBD and terpenes and all these important issues of the day. So thank you so much for helping to continue to enlighten us. All right. Thank you. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. And the show notes with all the links I mentioned are at nursekeith.com forward slash episode 269. Make sure you like and reach out to Ashley. Let her know you listened. Let her know you heard her message. And follow and support her on social media. I hope you feel uplifted, empowered, and informed from this episode. And I want you to take inspired action every day in the interest of your personal and professional career and happiness. And if you need personalized holistic career coaching to elevate your nursing career, please look no further than nursekeith.com. And if you mention this episode or the podcast itself, you'll get 10% off your first coaching package. And did you know there are job listings and other resources at nursekeith.com? That's right. Navigate over to nursekeith.com in the resources drop-down menu. You'll see jobs from Reload, Trusted Health, ZipRecruiter, and as well as free ACLS and BLS certification. Who wouldn't love that? OpenMD, a free search engine for evidence-based medicine, and an excellent video IV course as well as affordable resume templates. The Nurse Keith Show is adroitly produced by Rob Johnston of 520R Podcasting, and Mark Cappy Spiesen is our stalwart social media ringmaster. What would I do without these two stellar gentlemen? Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico, and the lovely Ashley Wynn Grimes bidding you adieu from... Baltimore, Maryland. Baltimore, Maryland. All right, Ashley, thank you so much. And we will catch everyone next time.